Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's read the chapter together. Good to hear the rustling of the paper. Just to inform you that for the duration of the summertime, probably until September, we'll suspend our studies in the book of Colossians. We will return to that in September in the will of God. I do intend to preach uh, another follow-up sermon to last week, and the title of the follow-up sermon will be to how to keep the Lord's Day special or sacred. Uh, so I'd encourage your prayers, and I'm open to hear your views uh, on that particular subject as well. There's many things that we didn't say last Lord's Day in relation to uh, should uh, Christians keep the fourth commandment, uh, and uh, I want to do a follow-up message, but not today uh, or uh, next week in the will of God. But we will do it uh, before uh, the summer's out. First Corinthians chapter 13, let's hear the word of God. Reading from verse 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly. But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. And my theme today I've entitled, Love is God's greatest gift. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 is probably the most famous chapter in all of the Bible. 
It's definitely one of the most well-known and widely used as a Bible reading on the subject of love. Young people, 1 Corinthians 13 is the most famous chapter about love. So if any of your friends say to you, well, do you know any Bible readings that could be done at a wedding about the subject of love? You can tell them, well, there's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, this morning, I want us to focus on the last verse of this tremendous chapter. Now, while it's true that the Corinthian church had been blessed with many wonderful gifts, spiritual gifts, even supernatural gifts, sadly and regrettably, there was one special gift that was missing in the church, one gift that was marked by its absence, and that was the gift or the grace of love. Sadly, the Corinthian church was so full of pride, so full of divisions, so full of fractions. I'm of Paul, I'm of Peter, uh, I'm of Apollos. So carnal that Paul described them as babies. And they were so tolerant of evil, even in the church, that it missed the main grace that was so vital, so crucial, and so needful for living out the Christian life. And that was the grace of love. Look at chapter 13, verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is making a statement of fact. Charity never faileth, or never fails. And then he's contrasting charity with three other gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gift of prophecies, the gift of tongues, and the gift of knowledge. And he's teaching us and them that these miraculous gifts, the gift of tongues and words of prophecy and words of knowledge, has a temporary purpose. One day they'll cease, they'll stop functioning. One day they will vanish off the scene. But there's a grace that that stands head and shoulders above these gifts. And that is the grace of love. Charity or love never fails. Love is a far more superior grace than even these miraculous gifts. Love is even more superior than certain other graces. If you look at chapter 13, now verse 13, And thou abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. What's he telling us there? He's telling us that this love that he's speaking about is even more superior than other graces. Because while faith and hope are vital and necessary graces in the Christian life, there's a grace that stands head and shoulders above them, and that's true love. True love is the excellent queen of graces. And while we must have a high view of true saving faith, and a high view of true hope in Christ. These vital graces are important. You can't be saved without faith. These graces, faith and hope, abideth, because they they can't be done away with. Notice the word abideth. Underline that. Do you know that Titus says this? He speaks about Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. You see, true faith is precious. It's supernatural. 
It's a gift of God implanted in the soul of God's people. It's really the fruit of the new birth. It's implanted by the Spirit in the life of the soul. And you can't be saved without faith. And that faith saves yourself as a sinner before God with a a sinful bias to go away from God. And that true faith, of course, sees Jesus Christ as an all-sufficient saviour. And true faith always has Christ as its object. So I ask this morning, for you who are listening, do you know Christ? Have you believed on his name to the saving of your soul? Are you believing in Christ this morning? Was there a time you received him as Lord and Redeemer? Are you relying on him fully for heaven and home? Are you rejoicing over him alone? Are you thankful to God that he alone is the only saviour of sinners? That all the saving work is done by Christ himself and Christ alone? The Bible says the just shall live by faith. Christian life commences by faith, continues by faith, and concludes by faith in Christ. Another vital and necessary grace is true hope. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19, we read these words, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this hope sure and steadfast. It's, it's the anchor of the soul. And true hope looks steadfastly and continue to Christ, forever trusting in him to, to keep us safe and to answer our prayers and, and to help us in the day of trial and trouble. But if you notice 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13, there's a third grace that is mentioned. He says, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three. The third grace is charity. That word charity means love. And he tells us something else. But the greatest of these is charity. What is the most important grace in the Christian life? We could ask it a different way. What's the greatest gift that God has ever given? You see, on Father's Day, one of the sons here uh, came and said, Dad, I'm going to give you one of life's greatest gifts. I thought, this is wonderful. Getting money here. No, it was time. It was a promise of time. And that got me thinking, well, what is the greatest gift of all? And of course, then my mind went to 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. But the greatest of these is charity. Last seven words of 1 Corinthians 13 and 13. But the greatest of these is charity. And that's what we want to think about this morning. I want you to think, first of all, about the primacy of love. Love is God's greatest gift. Notice the word greatest here. You see, Paul is teaching us and telling us that the grace of love is of the most monumental importance. It's the most essential grace in the Christian life. Stands head and shoulders above faith, which is essential and vital, and the same to do with hope. You see, Paul's majoring in this. You've heard the wee saying, well, Don't major in minors. 
You've heard the saying, don't make a, a mountain out of a molehill. You've heard the saying, keep the main thing the main thing. Well, Paul is majoring on a major. He's magnifying what is most monumental in the Christian life. Think of 1 Corinthians 13, young people. One whole chapter devoted to the subject with one theme. And what is the one theme? It's the subject of love. You see, it's, it's vital. It's important. But it's, it's monumental. It stands like Hebrews 11. Of course, that's a monumental chapter to faith. Virtually every verse begins by faith. Paul's driving at home, you see. At Romans 8, at Hebrews 6. The, the chapter's given over to the subject of hope that's sure and steadfast. That's why he says in verse 19 that it's an anchor to the soul. You see, he's majoring on the subject. The greatest gift in the whole world is the subject of love. If you think of the word but here, link it up with the but in verse 8. Charity never faileth but. And he mentions then whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Can you catch the thread of his argument? He's writing to the church at Corinth. They have a big emphasis on the gifts. Spiritual gift, but supernatural gifts in that first century. And the apostle Paul is reminding them that the exercise of such gifts amongst them is not an end in itself. These gifts have been given for a far greater goal. And that goal is to magnify and lift up this monumental subject of the love of God in Christ. Sadly, sinfully. Corinthian church was so taken up and preoccupied with the supernatural gifts that they lost sight of one of the most vital, the most necessary of all spiritual graces. Not gifts, but spiritual graces. They were guilty of majoring on a minor. And they forgot the most monumental, focusing on the temporary. Instead of focusing on what was truthful, focusing on prophecies and tongues and knowledge. You've forgotten that these same gifts were intended to produce the gift of grace, of love itself. You've forgotten that there's a, a, a trinity of spiritual graces far greater than these gifts. Faith, hope, and love. You've forgotten that the greatest of these is love. Now, if you think of the word great, we could say love is great. We could say love is greater than another grace. But he doesn't use the word great. He doesn't use the word greater. He uses the word greatest. And what is the greatest grace in the Christian life? In the Christian life, the greatest Christ-like quality and grace is that of love. True love is great. True love is greater. But true love is the greatest. It stands head and shoulders above faith and hope. Love is number one. It stands head and shoulders above the rest. Yes, faith and, and hope are vital. They're also outstanding Christian qualities and virtues. But what stands on the shoulders of faith and love, or faith and hope, 
is love itself. It's the mountain peak of all graces. It's, it's of primary importance. I want you to notice something very quickly here, the primary meaning. See, if you take the word love, the Greek word here is agape or agape. I want to tell you, it's not used exclusively for God's love as some commentators tell us. It is generally used for God's love, but not exclusively for God's love. And while the Greek word is agape, our translators of the King James Version chose not to just use the word love. They could have done that. They've done that in other places. They, they chose to use a different word. And that word is, in our Bible, charity. Now, that was deliberate. Because they wanted to indicate just how broad and wide this subject is. The word charity is calling us to a breadth of love that we are to show in our Christian life. Now you know that love is one of the most widely used words in the English language. Probably one of the most overused. Probably one of the most abused words. Probably one of the most misunderstood words. A dictionary definition is this. It's warm, affectionate, a fondness, a liking, a passionate longing, but it's more. Whenever the Bible talks about love, it's thinking of a deliberate choice or a fixing of the will to do good to their subject. John Owen said this about God. God's particular transcendent love is an unchangeable purpose. It's an act of his will causing the salvation of miserable, sinful men. In other words, literally, God's love is his goodwill linked up to or allied to affectionate action to procure the good he deserves to accomplish. And that's the primary meaning of the word, as it's in our authorized version, charity. It's the Greek word agape. It's a very broad term for love, and that's why they're using the word charity. It's also a particular manifestation you see, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's not just God's love that's in view. I want to make that clear. It's not just the love of God the Father to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, or the love of God the Son and the Holy Spirit to God the Father. It's not just the Father's love for a sinful world. Think of John 3 and 16. I want you to think also, it's not just the love of Jesus Christ to his people. I know the Bible says greater love have no man than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. It's not just our love to God and love to Jesus Christ that's in view, although that's important. It's not just the love of a husband and a wife to each other or the love of parents to their children or children to their parents. Now, that's all important and that's all included here. And I want to make that clear. It's not, it's not absent because all of these are, are interlinked with each other. It's all included. That's why it's a wide, broad application, but it's not the primary focus. 
The primary focus of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the believer's love for one another. It's the manifestation of this broad love that's shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost within the body of God's believing people. In other words, it's showing, displaying a deliberate love for one another in the church and in the country. Now, that love is not natural to us. It's not ours by virtue of our own selves. It's a gift put into our hearts by the Spirit of God and the grace of God. It's wrought within us by the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks in Romans 5 about the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And if we're full of God's love and a love to Christ, then that will be seen and shown to all around us. And we will grow and develop and we will abound and mature in this kind of love. And this kind of love carries the greatest benefit to the greatest number of people. Faith benefits me. Hope benefits me. But love fills me with a mindset and a grace that's profitable and beneficial to other people. Now that's the primacy of love. Secondly, the property of love. Why does he say, but the greatest of these is charity? Well, what are the reasons? Is he just being poetic? Is he just throwing in seven more words because he's nothing else to say? No. Let me give you the reasons. One, love is an attribute of God. Do you know the Bible says God is love? 1 John 4, 8. It says the second time, 1 John 4 and 16, two times in the Bible, God is love. We don't read God as faith in the Bible. Do we read that God is hope in the Bible? No, we don't. Two times we read, God is love. It's the very nature and being of God is love. So, so every attribute of God is marked by love. His love is infinite. His love is eternal, everlasting. His love is unchangeable. His love is holy and wise and good and, and, and just and righteous and true. You see, God's essential essence is a pure, holy, eternal, unchangeable love. We know that true faith is the gift of God. We know that hope is also the gift of God. But love is the divine attribute of God himself. And God's people are to exercise and display and show forth this kind of love. One to another. You see, if it's God's nature to love men then we have to have a nature like God also to love man. Because love is the attribute of God. I'll tell you something else. Love is the fulfilling of the law. If we go back to the Ten Commandments, you know, many don't fully understand the Ten Commandments, really comprehend them. I was thinking of getting a little card with the Ten Commandments on it and going round the doors and asking people, would they like a copy? Because, you see, when you think of the Ten Commandments, it has to do with our relationship with God. The first four ties into our relationship with God. The next six, the second table of the law from the fifth commandment to the tenth is all about our relationship to our neighbor. So our love to God first and then the outworking of that is love to our neighbor. Remember the Lord Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? 
and he summarized it. Turn over there to Matthew chapter uh, 22. Look with me at verse 36 to 40. It's really self-explanatory. Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now notice verse 40. Here's the summary of the whole law. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You see, the Jews, they took the Ten Commandments and they made 618 commandments. Taught the people, this is how you have to live. But the Lord Jesus reduces them to two. Love to God, primary, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, True love is the fulfillment of the law. Now, that's not natural to us. This can only be realized and displayed in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember our Lord Jesus Christ, he fulfilled the law perfectly because he had a holy and a pure love toward God, his Father, and also he had a pure, holy love toward the world of sinful men. And here's loving like Christ. Here's a high goal set for the people of God. And it's fully consistent with the revelation of God as revealed in the Old Testament, the giving of his law, the Old Testament prophets, the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. Remember the God of the Old Testament's the same God of the New Testament. They're, they're one and the same. So, so what is love? It's the fulfillment of the law. You can't do it in your own strength or power. Only in and through Christ. Can you begin to love God? And you'll never love him perfectly. But you strive purposefully. You're, 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 you're persistent in the outworking of this. Here's another property of love. Love is the foremost fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, we read the fruit of the Spirit is what? And here's the first answer. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love stands first. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, this is important that you understand that. If you're born of the Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit, the Spirit of God will produce in you this fruit. And that fruit will be first and foremost that of love. Also, there has to be a love for the brethren. Remember the Lord Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 34 and verse 35, he made this tremendous statement speaking on the subject of love. John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you and that you also love one another. By this shall all men know you are my disciples if you have love one to another. And we could focus in on that new commandment. It's a love for the brethren. It's a love that sees beyond my need and, and my wants to, to the needs and wants of others. And, and it's the opposite of self-centeredness. And it adopts the mindset that I live to serve the benefit of others. So I'm not going to vaunt myself. I'm not going to flaunt myself. 
I'm asking how can I be useful and beneficial within the body of Christ? Because I have a love for my brothers and sisters. I'll tell you something else about this love. If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Charity or love never faileth. In other words, it endures. It doesn't fail. It endures. It reigns supreme, but the greatest of these is charity. And of course, it, it never ends. Because faith one day will give way to sight. Hope will give way to reality. But, but love will remain even in heaven. It's, it's perfect. It's pure. Now, I trust that you understand that. One day even in heaven we will abound and bask in a notion of fullness of perfect love toward God in Christ. And I say this also as another property. The love of Christ is being reproduced in the hearts and lives of God's people. Very quickly, I want you to think thirdly, the performance of love. If, as he says here, but the greatest of these is charity, then this love that he's speaking about, this broad, wide application of love, must be centering in all our relationships. It, it cannot be absent. If it is, no matter what we do, no matter what we have, no matter what we give, then it will come to nothing. Did you note the repetition in the reading? 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Verse 3, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profited me nothing. In other words, if I'm in my life don't have a love to God that I'm striving to perfect, if I don't have a love to my neighbor, then all that I do comes to nothing. It is nothing. I am nothing in myself. In relation to the performance of love, it will be seen in the home, husband and wife parents and children. The home will be a haven of love. There'll be truth and justice and there'll be kindness. There'll be patience. There'll be forgiveness. It'll be seen in the church how believers treat each other in the context of Christian fellowship. Paul says in, first, in Romans chapter 12 and in the um, ninth verse he says, let love be without dissimulation. Be, be without dispute. Be without strife, a discord, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that rejoice, and weep with them that weep, be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, be not wise in your own conceit, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. I could go on and on, if we say that we have the love of God in our heart and that we love Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then it's, it's not just enough to say that. We have to show it. And it'll be seen in our attitude. It'll be seen in our action. It'll be seen in our announcements. 
There'll be a preference toward one another. We'll be devoted to help and assist one another. We'll see the needs of one another. And for the greater good, if we can help, then we will do what we can. Someone has rightly said, and I believe it's right, that the true church of Jesus Christ must be the greatest manifestation of a circle of love in the world. Love must be manifested, cultivated, nurtured, encouraged, and developed in the body of Christ. And that love will be real. And that love will be practical. And if we truly love Christ, there'll be a love for the Sabbath. There'll be a love for the saints. There'll be a love for the sanctuary. There'll be a love for the scriptures. There'll be a love for sinners. There'll be a love for the souls of men. Let me tell you also, It'll be seen in the world. This love even extends to an unbelieving world. That this, this love that I'm speaking about will be evangelistic. We, we will demonstrate by our love one to another that, that we're different. This love will be to our neighbor. It'll be to our families. It'll also be to our enemies. Didn't the Lord Jesus say that? In Matthew chapter 5, I think it is, in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 44, listen to these words. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be, what? The children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise in the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. And if you love them which love you, what reward of you? Do not even the publicans do the same? Or if ye salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And the word perfect there means wholly committed to this. Wholly committed to do what Christ wants, to love your enemies. To show them by your action, your attitude, and your announcements that you indeed are a child of God. And to your enemy, hungry, feed him. And do not repay evil for evil. Pray for them who persecute you and despitefully use you. Don't be harsh and bitter and unforgiving and manipulative and be a gossiper and a backbiter. You see, the world doesn't listen to us, do they? They don't understand our appeal to the Bible. They, 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 they reject our holiness and, and our abstention from things out of love to God and Christ. They mightn't like our stand against sin and iniquity. But they'll see our love. If you think of a man in a factory, he's got a problem, a difficulty. Who does he turn to? Who does he go for help? Who does he discreetly say, brother, sister, would you pray for me? It's the Christian man. It's the Christian woman. And you see, when we exercise this kind of love, we're, we're, we're manifesting a, a Christ-likeness. We're, 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 we're showing and knowing more of God to, to a, a dying world. Didn't Jonathan do that to Saul's son, Mephibosheth? He didn't treat him as an enemy. He didn't treat him as a rival. He welcomed him into his home. He gave him a place at his table. He, he restored his land. He, he was loving the person. He wasn't loathing the person. He, he didn't plan to get even or get his own back. He didn't have a long memory of wrongdoing of the hands of Mephibosheth's grandfather Saul. No, loved 
wasn't bitter. Love wasn't bothered. Never planned to get even. Didn't harbor elf will. There was no unforgiving spirit. That, that, that was not Christ's way. Here's a challenge to us. The performance of love. The home. The work. The church. The world. Our time is gone. I want you to just think of this as we finish. The permanence of love. See, one day faith will give way to sight when we're in heaven. And hope will give way to the realization that all that we have longed for that was sure and steadfast has now been fully realized. We can see all that we believe and all that we have hoped for when the half hasn't been told. We're fully satisfied with it all. But when it comes to the grace of love, love's the same. Yes, it's now perfected. We're no longer loving God and Christ and the scriptures and the Sabbath and the saints and sinners with a sinful heart. We're now in a world of perfect love. Do you know, isn't it funny that people here below in the house of God, they don't speak to other brothers and sisters. Now, it's not true here. I'm well aware of that. And they try to avoid other brothers and sisters. And yet they're going to spend the whole of eternity with them together in heaven. And the mindset should be of that of Elizabeth Fuchs, who was burnt at the stake the 16th century. And she said this as she died, farewell world, as she embraced the, the, the flames. Farewell faith, farewell hope, welcome love. In heaven. Let me ask this as I finish. If what Paul says is 100%, but the greatest of these is charity, and you understand that that means love in all its breadth, how does that affect your heart and mine? Remember, this love was only supernaturally given to us in Christ. It's not natural to us. It's carnal for us to be full of self-love. The only way you can know this love is to be made a new creature in Christ and to allow God through his spirit not only to bring you into the experience of the new birth but, but to grow in Christ, to grow in the knowledge of grace. Someone has rightly said to live in a world above with saints that you know will be a world of glory. But to live here below with saints you know, well, that's another story. How, how are we going to live and love and be loyal without Christ, without being given a new heart, without being made a new creature? How does this affect our hearts? How does this affect our lives? This is not something that we can realize ourselves, not something we can do by ourselves. It's not self-renewed, self-regulated. It's only by being found in Christ. The permanence of love will continue in heaven. May the Lord take these few words and bless them to us.